And so you can probably kind of see then, like, I think when I went through my big um, soul-searching kind of phase after 2017 when I thought I was retiring from sport, the reason I retired, retired in quotation marks, is because I thought that Hanny was an athlete, um, which she was, but only an athlete. And I thought that there was a point where athleticism needed to end and the next evolution of Hanny needed to begin. Because all I thought was there was one archetype, athlete Hanny, and athlete Hanny needed to mature, so athlete Hanny needed to die, and um, adult Hanny kind of needed to begin. And when I kind of came to work with my coach into this realisation that Athlete Honey is always going to be there. Like, you can't turn off an archetype. That's really hard. Mm. But to realise that underneath that was, like, a queen, an imp, a warrior, like, all sorts of, like, really important things, like a lover, a wife, like, all these other archetypes that were just sitting there waiting to be fed and, like, to flourish. And I've walked away a richer person and realising I'm still able to be an athlete and that one is probably going to always be very central to my life. But then there's all these other things that I can also enjoy and reap the rewards from. Uh-oh, that was me. And this is the Find Your Feet podcast. I'm so grateful to everyone who keeps tuning back in to listen to my Find Your Feet podcast. I can't believe that we've had over 50 episodes. Um, We've had so many extraordinary people on the journey. And I think that you'll all agree that we've learnt so, so much about the importance of being wilder, playing wilder and performing wilder. It's been really, um, I think, insightful to have a focus on climate change and also meditation, which you've probably noticed has been a bit of an underlying theme. And that's just because there's just so many amazing people that have come into my world in that in that realm. But I really did want to bring the conversation back to some of the stuff that I've been learning and exploring recently. And um, I feel really grateful to be able to do this with the uh, with welcoming back Jess to the Find Your Feet podcast. For those of you who have been listening in for a while, Jess has been involved in the uh, podcast probably back about 18 months ago, but since then she's been exploring her own artistic journey and where this is all leading. She's also been studying and studying psychology, so she's the perfect person to have this conversation with. So today's conversation is based around archetypes and the hero's journey. Now, if you're not familiar with that, that is okay, and hopefully you won't find it too woo-woo for you, Um, but I really do believe that getting your head around archetypes and how they uh, play out in your world will give you so much leverage when it comes to executing your own goals and dreams. But before we get really deep into that conversation, I just want to acknowledge the support of the team at Find Your Feet, who continue to help me to deliver excellence in our tourism, retail and coaching operations to allow you and help you to find your feet. So if you've never made contact with Find Your Feet, um, jump across to the website findyourfeet.com.au 
And uh, don't forget to enter podcast at checkout if there's any good goodies that you need for all your wild adventures. So enter podcast at checkout and you can receive 20% off your order with us. You also get free shipping for anything over $100. So I really do recommend um, you to have a look at what we've got from travel, trail running, hiking, camping and outdoor lifestyle. We really have everything that you need for your wild adventures. Um, furthermore, we have the Find Your Feet tours still heading out. We've got one actually leaving for Flinders Island this weekend with a lovely group of avid explorers. And then next year, trips all over the world, including our exploratory tour to Bulgaria, which has one place remaining on it. So if you're interested in any of our trips from the French Pyrenees to Chamonix to wild Bulgaria, overland trekking Tasmania, Freycinet, and hopefully I have a new product soon to be released. So if you'd like to join us, jump across to www.findyourfeettours.com.au and check out everything that we do. And finally, just to remember that we have a reminder that I have so many resources available on my own website. I actually have just released a new beginners trail running training program, which is a six month program for anyone who's more in the hiking and jogging and maybe a little bit of road running world who'd really like to give trail running a go. That program is perfect if you're training for anything up to 30 kilometers or four hour mark and you have a good six months to dedicate to that journey. I really think you'll love that resource. So jump across to my website, honeyalston.com.au and you will find some great resources to tap into, including that one. All right, I'm ready to have this conversation with you. I really hope that you enjoy it as we go on this hero's journey and learn all about archetypes. Here's Jess and I and the hero's journey. And um, so maybe like just from, for like my benefit, but also like maybe for the community who used to like come to say visit us at Ultra Trail Australia and be like oh Jess you're Jess you're like <laughs> the one behind the microphone like can you tell us a little bit about what you've been up to yeah sure um so at the beginning of this year I had an opportunity to take my artwork so I do like visual sort of like um visual art uh to a gallery here in Tasmania and I thought that's a quite a rare opportunity and something that I did want to give um, a lot of my attention to just to see if it would work. That's kind of my personality. If, <laughs> you know, something seems like it's going to be really good and it feels very aligned, I'm just going to go for it. So, yeah, I took some time off to pursue that and went back to uni. I'm studying um, psychology and health promotion. So yeah, just took a bit of a sabbatical year, I suppose, exploring a few of my other desires, well, not desires, my other um, dreams and and aspirations. Yeah. And then kind of got to the end of this year and realized how much I missed working for you and supporting um, you and your dreams. And it just kind of happened that you're in a similar place and we just sort of rekindled the flame again. <laughs> it certainly felt like that. I mean, I think... I pined for you ever since you left yeah. um, and not that I, I knew you kind of hadn't left but it was like pine for that companionship and 
when our brains came together it felt like we just could create a lot of magic and, yeah. and get really excited by like how we could help other people to experience greater quality of life and I guess it kept yeah. coming back to like helping other people to find their feet and for sure there it's actually quite hard to do that solo and mm -hmm. realizing and maybe there are some personalities out there and that probably leads us into what we were hoping to get to today about archetypes but um, I certainly know that our personality is like one that needs to collaborate. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I think even behind like what might be the face of a single person definitely needs a support group of any kind. Um, so yeah, it's kind of yeah. hard to do that without that support group. Absolutely. And I'm going to pick up on that then because this is probably one of the huge learning points. So I'm back studying again. So I'm studying um, of all things, I guess it's kind of like, how to take my coaching from coaching to peak performance coaching and the areas that I'm learning about at the moment in neurolinguistic programming which is like I guess reprogramming the dialogue that we have with ourselves mm. um hypnosis amongst other things and also um I've been learning a lot about different personality types and and the sort of different fears and aspirations that our certain personality types have and that really helps you with communication mm. but one of the biggest things that i learned on the in the early part of the journey was about the importance of support teams and i kind of like to call these my a team um i think so many of us especially as we get to adults think that we need to kind of be resilient we need to be independent we need to be able to like you know if we want to achieve something then we really should be able to do it ourselves and we were even just saying in the kitchen how hard it is to like directly ask our partners and husbands for help <laughs> so we always ask it as like this roundabout question just because you don't want to have an ego to say like i really um don't want the world centered around me but really at the end of the day i really want the world centered around me <laughs> um and it's but i think it's common with like so many people that i work with mm. um and then, for instance, I have a lovely, uh, really elite athlete that I've been helping um, and he broke his foot. He got a stress fracture in his foot uh, back probably three or four months ago. And we were digging around and I was doing a lot of work with him. And I think it really came back to the fact that he had relocated away from his home environment, away from his coaches and his friends in the squad that he used to run with. And he was now setting himself up in a new place and he was completely isolated and he didn't have an A team around him. And when you think about like feet, our feet are our support structure mm. and his foot was broken. And I felt like it was a metaphor for saying like, he doesn't have enough support around him. Mm -hmm. And what I kind of then took from that is that the higher you really want to climb, the more important your A team becomes. Mm -hmm. So if you're happy, just kind of, I mean, I'm not going to, I don't want to like put anyone down, but if you're happy, just sort of muddling along, you know, and your goal is the local park run and you're already doing park run and, you know, you're happy at that constant level. Your, your A team, you know, you need to have one, but it probably doesn't need to be like enormous. But if you're suddenly aspiring to step up and run 100K races internationally or the Olympic marathon, you can imagine like how much more important that A team becomes. And mm. that was really highlighted to me when I lived and worked at the Australian Institute of Sport back in the lead up to the London Games. So we had Olympic and Paralympic athletes from the age of 14 through to, you know, in their 40s. And their support, well, their scholarships were worth over $80,000 each um, for a lot of them. And 
then you know that begs the question like where where does the money go like what's so expensive and what's expensive is managing and keeping their support teams mm. um so you know they had like coaches dietitians strength and conditioning recovery specialists psychology career and education you know then you think about all the people that maintain the grounds for them or the athletics track or clean their rooms and cook their meals and it just you know and then i was like there to just kind of be taxi service mentor friend kind of look after their welfare and the residences and but you know I was part of that A team mm. um even in a small way so coming back from that was like really the motivating drive to starting find your feet was realizing like holy shit balls you know I work with these people who have these huge goals you know I want to I'm a working mum or dad and I've got a high level job and I've got you know, a house to run and mm. I want to run a hundred miles or a hundred K or a marathon. And I was just like, these people are like really the heroes in society because they're doing it without the A-team. And so mm. it all came back to like, how can we put the right support around those people to help them achieve their goals? Mm. So yeah. So I don't know kind of how we ended up on that, but like it's, it's a really <laughs> interesting area. And I yeah. think it is like, so hard for us to ask for help yeah it's so hard i think it's almost our greatest weakness as adults is to say i need a hand because <laughs> mm, we're supposed to be that independent and yeah thing but yeah even i think an extension off like you started the retail store to offer that support but also extended into the tours is like an incredible wealth of knowledge that you add to people like through that experience and are able to probably give more than what you might be able to say if someone met you in the store or for coaching like it's quite an intensive period where you're not just running but also you get that kind of like one-on-one -on -one with people so you can see exactly what they're experiencing and then offer yeah support um yeah for them there. absolutely and that that kind of then raises the question like who do you who do you have in your a team and what's the what's their role mm. and i feel like so often the role of the A team is literally to be able to sometimes say me too, you know, and so that can be your training buddy or your best friend, or you come on a tour and you don't know anyone, but you maybe you've had a challenge back home that you've been grappling with and someone on the tour is running along next to you and turns to you and say, oh, me too, I understand, I empathise, mm. you know, and just that me too statement just takes that pressure of like, why is this happening to me to mm. being like, oh, this is part of the human experience. Mm. Um, and yeah. And so, but, but then I have been really thinking a lot because I, I, because of this has just become such a huge part of my focus recently and realizing that I need to help the people that I work with to put a teams around them. It begs the question, like, who do you have in the a team? Um, and I probably would say that really, I often have said to some of my athletes, like, just imagine you're here to roll across the Indian Ocean, like huge undertaking, like who would you need in your A-team? Who do you need to be there to build the craft, to navigate, to fuel you, to help you recover, to have the physical fitness to do it? Like, I think it's kind of nice to think in a story, in a metaphor, rather than directly in your, what you're actually striving mm -hmm. for, because as soon mm -hmm. as you... Um, try and aim straight at who you are and what you're striving for you get quite a lot of conscious resistance that pops up whereas if you talk in metaphor and story you actually bypass a lot of that conscious resistance and get to like 
the unconscious mind, which is a bit more willing to kind of give. Yeah. So I sort of parallel and be like, yeah, you're rowing across the Indian Ocean, what do you need? Yeah. That'll really highlight to you who you want to put in your A-team. Um, but one of the roles that I don't include in A-teams often is family because, like, I think the, the A-team needs to be able to – it's pretty rare that people need to be shoved along. Like, most of us are probably too good at shoving ourselves along and need people to pull us back. But the A-team occasionally does need to be pretty hard-ass. Like, honey, you're overtraining, stop it. <laughs> Behave. Like, whereas I think that the role of family is to be unconditionally loving yeah. and supportive of the person at the heart of the endeavour. Mm-hmm. And I know the A-team kind of does see that, but they know that their role is bigger than that. Whereas I think mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you know, for me, my husband kind of just needs to be there to be like, Han, I love you unconditionally no matter what you do and it doesn't matter whether you achieve or you don't, good on you, mm. you know, um, and here's a hug. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I find it really interesting that you don't associate that as part of the A-team. Like you know, you've said there's the A-team but then there's like family and that role that maybe Graham plays is – so you're thinking a team is more of just like for performance purposes whereas family might be more for life and i'm wondering yeah. where they if they are actually maybe intertwined I'm, yeah it's a good question and maybe like i'm different to how other people would perceive it and i think it probably is comes down to individual choice but mm. i'm quite a visual creature and straight away my brain has this little picture of a hierarchy yeah and i see this little triangle which sort of represents my a-team but i see graham as this little like cloud above the yeah. triangle <laughs> and he's kind of equal with me yeah. and i think that's really interesting my brain pictures them him and i equals yeah. like because i think at the end of the day too like he has his aspirations as well and I have mine and we're a team Mm. and so we kind of need to harmonize our aspirations whereas if you put him in the a-team you're kind of almost saying like you're here to support me me yeah it's not reciprocal yeah I, I don't know I think that's why yeah but I think everyone is different but I have I have known and raced with athletes whose husbands are their coaches and that raises like a whole nother question um, mm. around how you how you manage that. And I guess it's probably a similar challenge to Graham and I being directors of a business, but being yeah, a husband and wife. That's and, what I was going to say. Yeah. Like how you sort of speak about, you know, that we all have different archetypes within us. So, so a one person doesn't just have to be one type of archetype to you, but you kind of have to see them as different archetypes in Completely. different circumstances and environments and times and, Completely. and that. Oh, and my brain wants to go two ways because um, <laughs> I was thinking like maybe to tie the knot and, and then lead into archetypes is that, um, no, and it, do, it does feed together is like, I think I always had this image that um, we are, X. So like I am Hanny and you are Jess and full stop. Yeah. <laughs> that we are like one entity and that entity goes with me to work and comes with me to home and goes out on the run with me and Hanny Hanny just does everything. And I mean in, of course, of course that's how it is, like in, in its physical form, but I think in its in its um I'm gonna say spiritual form, like Hanny is so many different archetypes. So you know, there's the athlete in her, there's a warrior for sure, and we all talk about what they mean. There's an imp that's super playful. 
um, you know, there's obviously the wife and the lover, you know, there, there's all these different parts of honey and all of these parts play a role, but not necessarily all at the same time. And I think this has been a huge learning point for me and one as well for people coming on our trips and stuff. So if I wanted to then go backtrack to kind of what we were talking about, about the challenge of like working with your husband in, in your company and being equal directors and, you know, and we know that the company's just entered its toddler phase. So we're probably like in a point of maybe scaling the business to reach more people and help more people. And that brings with it pressures. Um, but Graham and I kind of said, in fact, no, we never even verbally said it. I think we just entered this quiet agreement that when we're at work, we're at work. And then we're, we're at home, we're lovers, wife, husband, whatever you want to call it, best mm. friends. And um, the only staff that we've ever had challenges with, I mean, it's very rare, but as being someone that hasn't been able to understand the difference of this is Hanny at work and this is Hanny in her relationship with Graham and them mm. feeling like Hanny and Graham, husband and wife are, are teaming up on, you know, mm. the employee. And, and it's just mm. an example of the challenge that we have with that. But um, so, yeah, so we basically made this sort of quiet agreement that we don't hug at work, we don't hold hands at work, we sit side by side only if we're working on a project, we don't work in each other's spaces, it's like we keep it very professional mm. and then occasionally we might just go and shut the door in the tea room and sit down and make like peanut butter and honey sandwiches and just feel like husband and wife just for mm. that like five or ten minutes and then we break back out again and it's like it's almost like you're changing your shoes or you're changing your outfit suddenly and like mm. entering back into the work environment and that's kind of how we've managed it um and we've also been really quite strict at like we might have like a short debrief at home but then we turn it off like mm. and distract ourselves and light a candle over dinner and remind ourselves of like the role that we play when we come in the door at home mm. um so yeah, i think that's kind of like an example of like the archetypes in action mm. um and the different archetypes in action but yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so it's kind of like i it is i think it is a really interesting area to um to keep talking about them yeah if you're keen yeah oh, yeah so excited i mean <laughs> we've spoken briefly about it yesterday and you sort of like introduced me to it a little <laughs> bit about the warrior and the pixie um but then we were like we should keep it for today so yeah. I've been waiting and waiting and I've slept <laughs> and I've woken up and now I'm ready to hear it uh, I'm so excited I, like I really hope I can um I can do it justice and give give like people who do listen to the podcast like a takeaway but um mm. maybe like a lovely place to start is just to um to begin with like our recent tour the, the find your feet tour yeah. that we did to Japan so yeah because um, it was like three must be three years was it three years ago that I met because we be. met on the Japanese yeah. tour and um and then yeah to see you go back again this year because it was to do a very similar track to what we said the Kumano yeah, Koda absolutely yeah. yeah and I was like have fun <laughs> I wish yeah. I was there <laughs> and I, I can't believe it's been three years Jess and I think that that is testimony to just how joyful on the whole the experience of find your feet has been yeah. and the amazing people that continually come into our lives and look how much like 
I mean, I think that I learn every time I meet someone, Mm -hmm. but look how much, for example, you and I have been able to learn from one another over that three-year period in the journey that we've been on as well. Mm. Um, You almost can't recognize, like you look back at that person and it doesn't even feel like you in a way, you feel like a different person. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. And I think that the beautiful thing about Japan and the Kamanakoto region and running, so obviously our tours are trail running tours, um, and running through that region is, I feel like Japan really exposes you to quietness and solitude. Mm. And it's very hard to find that anywhere else. Like we run, we, I worked out the other day that we've run tours to eight countries now around the world. Mm. And I mean, a lot of them are breathtakingly beautiful, um, but they don't have that real solitude and quietness and sense of like striving for self-compassion that, Japan has mm-hmm. um so like on the on the first day we were going up the the first hill and it, it's a short day but like it's a steep hill and it was yep. quite warm and there was this like you know the group were all excited and they're all chatting and they're all up in front of me and all I could hear was that but then this like wind kind of blowing across through the bamboo trees that we were running through mm-hmm. and I I just had to stop them and I just had to sort of ask them to find a little space and just enter a moment of silence and just listen and and really feel the presence of this place. And um, I think it kind of, I never really planned it, but it kind of set the scene for the the trip to have an element of self-discovery about it. Mm -hmm. And so then on day two, we were running along and again, like the group were kind of like chatting and they're all like excited about races coming up and you know, their kids and their jobs and like, and, um, and we were just on this beautiful section of track. Like it was just slightly downhill, curving bends, like really soft underfoot, smooth. And I just said to them, like, I think it's time for us all to be imps. You know, we need to like go like pixies down this track and like whoop with joy and just run out of control and like just play basically. Did you get any like puzzled looks from people when you're like, let's be imps and they're like, okay. (laughs) This has been my greatest fear, Jess. You've nailed it. (laughs) And it's funny because I was just, I just interviewed someone else on the podcast um, who's a I would call him like a guru now in heart meditation mm-hmm. and you sort of go heart meditation here and um, it was the most interesting discussion and it was also his greatest fear is that we both agreed that we come from very black and white thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, I was raised in a family that was quite split between very black and white scientific kind of logical brain and a very spiritual and sort of um sent like yeah I mean they both were sensitive but you know what I mean like soft Mm. spiritual almost personality Mm -hmm. and I probably just through who I was at the time went very much more towards the black and white thinking and then I studied in in areas like medicine which are very black and white and Um, I always kind of almost had like an aversion to being seen as spiritual or whimsical in thinking but what I've come to kind of realize is the world isn't so black and white yeah yeah but when I do I get so excited about this stuff like I'll ramble for hours but (laughs) I do really feel nervous bringing it into the coaching world yeah 
And a lot of the guests even said to me, like, wow, I didn't realize what I was signing up for. Yeah. But in a good way. <laughs> in a great they way. They were saying, yeah, yeah. Yeah. In a great way. Yeah. But there's this fear of, like, being perceived as a running coach or a guide, um, you know, or an elite athlete. And then sort of coming out and be like, let's run down here like pixies. You know, <laughs> it's sort of like can be quite left of center. For yeah. Um, but I found that everyone embraced it. As yeah. in, everyone almost there was almost a fatigued feeling amongst many of the guests of being an adult and Mm. having to always walk in the same shoes Mm. and I think being able to like have permission to kick off the shoes and run down the hill barefoot Mm -hmm. not that we did but metaphorically (laughs) was like probably just what everyone was desiring without knowing that's what they needed yeah yeah so um so that kind of then we began to over the course of the trip talk about all the different archetypes and personalities that you can bring to your running and Mm. some of the days were quite long like maybe not so much in distance like we got up to about 39k one day but we were out there because of the nature of the terrain for like eight hours or whatever we Mm -hmm. were seven hours um and one day it like pretty much rained all day Um, (laughs) and so we talked about how there are going to be times when you're out there where maybe it's more challenging. Yeah. Maybe it's a big kill. Maybe you're feeling fatigued. Maybe you're just sod, soddy, soggy to undies, basically, and you just, like, want to get in the onsen. Um, <laughs> and so we talked about the warrior. Yeah. So the warrior, and I used these when I was running through the Pyrenees on my own, you know, and you have hard moments. So the warrior is actually really common, like this one I think most people spend a lot of time in. Mm. But the warrior's role is really to, like, knuckle in and get you there. Mm. And um, I even wrote it down earlier. Um, So their their greatest values or, like, strengths are strength, power and loyalty to yourself and others. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of us go out the door all the time on a run with warrior mode on. It's like, I just, I've got an hour, I just get this run done and then I'll be back and I'll be ready for my kids and then I'll be off to work and I'll be ready for my, you know, mm-hmm. meetings and, mm. um, and gee, I don't feel great. So I'll just knuckle in a bit and put the power down and just, you know, mm. push myself through it. And mm. there's a real, there's a real value to warrior mode as in, um, say in a race situation there's a challenge like a huge hill and you're you're scared of that hill and you just need to lean in and enter warrior mode and get up that hill and then you back off yourself and you you go well done and I'll you know I'll now give myself the recuperation I need in order to continue on in the race so Mm. warrior mode plays a role um you see athletes use it when they're head-on-head racing with one another maybe when their feet are blistered and they just got to get through it um there's yeah huge value to warrior mode but the problem with warrior mode is it's so energy intensive and it often is very tunnel visioned Mm. and not a lot of joy Mm -hmm. um and if you want to like really see it in action just pull out some of like war movies or action movies where there's like a hero playing the warrior role Um, yeah and just see how hard it is on them how whether they end up looking at the end of it yeah and look around at your friends maybe if you're like out running or you're in a working environment and just look at the people who are on warrior mode Mm. and it just doesn't look joyful Mm. yeah so but we did talk on the tour about like 
there were times where people did need to just put on warrior mode and let's just get through this little section and then you're going to get that sense of like great I'm nearly there or you know I've got through that challenge yeah. and then we'll we'll play pixie or we'll do something else yeah um, does that make sense yeah 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 it's kind of like whatever you I think everyone as soon as you say warrior people do have a sense in you like you sort of know what it feels like to be a warrior yeah. like from cultural conditioning you're like oh yeah that doesn't feel good or not that it doesn't feel good but you know what it feels like and then when you say pixie yeah it has a different kind of playfulness feeling to completely. it completely yeah. yeah and they're interchanging I think yeah. is a big thing to to be stuck in one or to spend too much time in one is is then has a side effect to it completely so being able to recognize and I think that's kind of like the idea that then when you recognize an archetype having an understanding of what it is then it gives you a choice like mm -hmm. well I'm in warrior right now does it serve purpose for me like am I going up a really big hill Completely. okay warrior serving me but like you say spending too much time in it or recognizing that you're in it when maybe it's not serving you then being able to choose do I still want to stay in it or what else could I be absolutely and yeah. I think it's really beautiful like the reason I asked did people get a positive expression is because sometimes it's like it seems so left field but but the way that you describe archetypes and also metaphor thinking is sometimes you do have to go left field to then get to where you wanted to go and that's like the the going outside of black and white thinking and getting yeah. more of that spectrum and I think that we need well even in a way that the world is coming to a place where we're starting to embrace more of that and and like the people that are doing it more and more feel like they're still the minority but I still believe that like talking about this type of stuff and bringing it more into people's awareness is like that's how we're going to grow and and kind of um, step out of those limiting beliefs. I in. absolutely wholeheartedly agree with that <laughs> and I think that so I mean there's now a lot of um, people and a lot of evidence to suggest left and right brain is not necessarily how the brain is but mm. but if we just take that for the moment because it still serves a purpose is like we have we talk about the left brain being sort of more the conscious awareness it's more the logical brain it's the thinking brain and then the right brain being more the creative brain but also a lot a lot of the unconscious brain and mm. where we store a lot of memories and my coach even says to me like and every single memory you've ever had is still stored it's kind mm. of zip filed into <laughs> into the brain mm -hmm. so whether it's left and right brain or whether you just want to think it is like conscious and unconscious brain but um what we're now beginning to find is that yeah if you if you continually and you only ever think that everything you do is driven by your conscious brain your thinking brain your analytical brain you're kind of fooling yourself yeah. because the unconscious brain plays a huge role in how in driving you and how you do things so um, true and so when then we think about like getting the most out of ourselves, if we think that we can um you know maybe let's take let's take for example someone let's take for example someone who is feeling a little bit flat having trouble with their mojo, not really sure if I want to get out the run, but I, I'm, I really know I should, so I'll put on my shoes and I'll go anyway. Let's take that kind of person. If we were to come at them and say, all right, logically, yes, you should go for a run, but I want you to only run easy, 
but if you're going to go hard, you can only do five minutes of hard and um, I need you to make sure that you're back in an hour, you know, and you give them that really logical response. Where's the joy in that? Mm. Like, and there'll be quite a lot of conscious resistance from that person because they'll be like, oh, but I've got to get back by then and then I've got a meeting and, you know, how much energy am I going to eat? Whereas if you kind of go into the unconscious brain by saying, I'd like for you to go on a run, um, use the time that you have, but let's let's bring out the pixie in you. So every time you run down a hill, I want you to make sure that you're like in the pixie mode. And mm. then if it gets a little bit tough, you can enter warrior mode, but make sure when you get up the top of that hill, then you um, are a queen and you look around yourself and you appreciate where you are. Just think about the the energy difference that person's going to come back with. Mm. Like, I mean, I know which one I would want mm-hmm. <laughs> to be guided by. Um, I think it is really different. And and so that's in a micro scale of like a morning's run. But if you think about a lot of us use these archetypes across our lives. Um, so maybe someone having a really difficult time, maybe there's a big project on at work. It's, you know, a year long project it asks the question, can you lean into that project for a year in warrior mode to get it done? You know, or like, yeah, are there other archetypes that you can bring in to help you to get there? Because you, you'll you know when you look around the people who've been in warrior mode too long because mm. they look haggard and gaunt. <laughs> yeah. Often. Yeah. But it serves a purpose. Yeah. So, yeah. I guess is there any – so we've got the warrior and the pixie. Yeah. I oh, sorry, the imp. Yeah, imp. pixie imp. Pixie same. imp. Yeah, there's actually, I mean, there's heaps. So a lot of these, um, you know, you can have a look out there. There's, like, the Jogian, Jogian archetypes. Um, I don't even know how to say that word. Yeah, I think but, it's um, from Carl, Carl Jung, but it's spelled, like, J-U-N. Oh, is it J-U-A-N-G? Or look it up. J-U-N-G. Um, I mean, he identified 12, but if you now go out there and you look at the works of other people since then, there's yeah. been a lot more that have been uncovered. But mm. I think it's just it's just something you sort of asked the question yesterday of like, how do you how do you know what archetype you're in and, and which one you should use? And I think it's like go out and sort of read about them and, and like – and in some ways I say be brave to read about them because when you go, oh, the imp, like I love the sound of that, maybe I'll just on this run this morning, every time I get to a downhill, I'm going to practice being an imp. Mm. And then you get the feeling of what actually being an imp feels like. Mm -hmm. And so then when you're in life and maybe you're like riding your bike to the coffee shop to meet a girlfriend and you're like dodging through the cars, you're like, I'm being an imp right now. Like, (laughs) honey, honey, stop it. I really should be more of like, you know, yeah. yeah but um so the more you like practice them the more you then you're able to recognize them playing out in mm-hmm. your world yeah um so I guess like the ones that I'm probably talking about are the ones that I use a lot and the ones I teach a lot but it's not to say that they're the only ones mm-hmm. um so yeah so maybe in Japan like we talked about imp and warrior I also talk about one and maybe this is my own language around it but the athlete and in some ways I think the athlete is actually like a caregiver as well I bring the athlete in is like just say you've been in warrior mode for a period of time chances are you probably haven't eaten you probably haven't drunk anything you've just like head down bum up get it done and then when you're in an imp mode you're generally like weeping with joy and running down the hills and giggling and 
playing practical jokes on yourself or others and you're just having joy and you again you're probably not looking after yourself um there's another one that i talk about a lot which is like the king or queen and that one is literally just like bring your head up out of the the task at hand and look around you and be like wow holy moly look where i've come Mm. you know look at my kingdom that i've you know that i've not created but that i'm now moving through if Mm. we're talking about running so in japan you know we had times where the sun would come out and there'd been a bit of rain and the place just looked like it was glistening it was like Mm. covered in gold dust and i'd just say to people like let's just be the king or queen at this moment and appreciate where we are and the kingdom that we're sort of surrounded by Mm. um but again, in that situation, you're not generally thinking about, do I need to eat anything? Do I need to drink anything? Are my shoes too tight? Like, um, so the athlete is kind of, for me, the caregiver or the scientist. It's the one that checks in with itself and says, like, you know, am I moving at the right pace? When was the last time I had something to fuel myself? Like, is there anything I need to do at this moment to make sure that I get to the end of this run feeling great? Mm. Um, and if it was like a working setting you know i've worked with say scientists it might be the scientists like okay i've been in warrior mode getting this report done and then i was on the mode while i was collecting all my data but do i need to check in with a scientist and just think for a set stop almost for a second and be like is there anything else i need to be doing right now yeah um so the athlete one to me is really important and so if you're using these four in a race setting for example you might start in athlete mode make sure that everything's you know good and you get off on the right foot then you might be like let's bring in the imp and let's get playful for a while and then you hit the first hill and you're like holy shit let's go warrior you get up the the hill and then you're like athlete mode how am i feeling do i need anything and then you pop up for air and you go wow queen mode like look where i've got myself mm. then the next downhill comes you like woohoo like in <laughs> mode let's play again yeah. you know warrior mode next hill and then athlete mode check in with yourself and so like you can see how like rather than it be like honey's entering a race and like racing for 80k down the overland track it can be like honey and all her archetypes are going to be like out here today it's mm. um, so powerful yeah. yeah it's kind of reminding me as you say this is like you know when you first learn to drive a car and you're kind of in your head like labeling things in a way where you're like okay now i've got to change gears now i've got to look in my rear view mirror now i've got to put my indicator on but the more and more that you practice it. it i think you can get used to because i'm just thinking people might think oh i'm kind of that's a lot to think about. Like I got to think about being a warrior and then think about, you know, that and, and that'll be in my head. But, but if you liken it also to driving a car, yes, you did have that all in your head when you first started, but then it just becomes natural. And I think the evolution of that is then acceptance of yourself in every single stage of like those archetypes. So while you're in a warrior, you can be in a warrior, not need to be in anything like, and just accept each of the things and have a lot more, understanding yeah and i think it also takes the pressure off Mm. and and the sense of expectation of self off Mm. because i think we've all had days again i'll use racing as just it's because it's such a um it's such a mirror i think Mm -hmm. to how you how you're going but um you've had rate for you've had days where you've been in a race and for whatever reason you're just not feeling it like you're just not feeling great well if you go out and you're just hanny it's like, honey, 
what the hell's going on? Like, honey, come on, just like lift your game. Like, honey, like, and it's easy to get into that really negative dialogue with yourself. Mm. Whereas this is basically, it's expanding your toolkit. Because in that mode when honey had been like not having a great moment, it's like, shit, 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 what can I do? Well, I'll just have a gel. Oh, shit, that didn't work. Oh, come on, honey, just come on. Like, whereas you can be like, Han, let's just back up. Like, let's just be an imp for a while. Let's just have some fun, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it, you have fun for a bit and then you go, queen mode, that's right, queen mode. Holy shit, look at those sea cliffs, you know, like. And then you'd be like, oh, wow. And then that gives you an energy. And then you use that energy to be like, okay, let's just check in with the athlete. Oh, that's right, I haven't eaten anything for like an hour. You know, and you have a gel and then you go, let's just go back to imp mode and see, you know, and it just, I don't know, like every time, every time you switch archetypes, you actually gain an energy and then you invest that energy back in and then you can gain an energy. Like, and I do, I guess I speak from experience now because I've been practicing it for a while, but I also ran 700 plus K. I was going to ask, Pyrenees I was like, did you, were you aware of this when you were doing your completely. Pyrenees trip? Okay. Yeah. Completely. Um, because then as you begin to like master it, then you also develop an awareness about the emotions that you're having. So like I'd start on a day and it'd be 4am and raining and dark and I didn't have a phone, I didn't have a map because I'd broken them and Graham would drop me off and be like, see you in like 40k's time, you know, and I'd be like, fuck. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yep. Bye, have a good day. I just feel like terrified yeah and so what choice do I have I could walk away but we all know now that fear is meaningful and it shows you what is meaningful to you Mm -hmm. um so you have then the choice to lean in but then you're like okay but what do I do you know and so I would pull out my archetypes and at the beginning I would be like I'd often be a warrior right at the beginning in that fear just to get a distance between me and the start of the trail. So Mm. far enough in that I guess I couldn't back out. Mm. And then I would come up there and I'd be like, athlete, 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 holy moly, it's a long way in front of me. Eat something, drink something, anything else you need, honey, you're too hot, you're too cold, like do all that. Mm -hmm. And then normally by then I would be ready to like pop up even more and look around me and go, wow, like, look at this landscape, like, and that would be the queen beginning to come in. And then as I got my confidence, then I'd be like, pixie mode, like, (laughs) running through the flowers, literally, um, (laughs) you know, and then I might see the top of the mountain coming up and be like, holy shit, that looks a long way, and so I'd go back into worry mode, you know, and I, Mm -hmm. and I just, I just did it, I just did it, and, um, I get to the other end of the day and I, like you'd be tired physically but you had this emotional energy and excitement that would then fuel you into the next day and then you're like mm-hmm. yeah so yes I yeah <laughs> well well rehearsed now yeah <laughs> um but I think then like then coming home from say the Pyrenees or from Japan is like you bring these archetypes home but they're not going to serve you in your relationship you know, when you're actually sitting around the dinner table with your husband or uh, mm. um, when you go to work, like it's probably no point being an input work all the time. You're probably not going to be very productive or warrior mode because you're not going to be very responsive to the needs of other people. And so you kind of like, I guess the greater the repertoire you have and understanding of your archetypes and what you need in your world to execute to peak performance, I think the more you're going to rule your world. Mm. Um, so other ones, for example, that are really meaningful to me are the sage 
and that one's always about seeking the truth. And for me, I kind of see the sages like always wanting to learn. Like I feel like I spend a lot of time in the sage. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Oh, so, yeah. so then you'll be able to answer the question: What's the negative of being in the sage too much? Um, almost like brain overload. If you're constantly, constantly learning, then yeah. you can just get fatigued, but like mentally fatigued yeah. from learning and seeking. And you yeah. don't ever get to like rest, yeah. I suppose. You're always a little bit on edge yeah. because you're caught, sort of pushed a bit forward, like always searching and seeking. Completely. Yeah. yeah. So I would say the sage's downfall is getting caught up in the head. Mm. Um, being so overly curious, um, and seeking truth that they don't recognize even when there is truth yeah. or when they have achieved yeah. um, and met like an end point because they're constantly shifting the curiosity goalposts. Mm. And so, yeah, you can always feel like you're in the rat race. Yeah. Yeah. But you can also, I often <laughs> think of the sage and like my visual brain begins to picture someone with their legs crossed sitting in a cave. Yeah. And then in some ways, metaphorically, that's truth for the sage is that they can get stuck in one point in time. Yeah. So like, yeah, can't, almost so fearful of not having the truth that they can't move anywhere. Yeah. And I get, I completely, I'm the same. I get like that. Yeah. And so what happens when you recognize you've been in sage too long? What, what's your immediate reaction when you like go, I've been stuck in sage mode, you might not have conscious awareness of that. Mm. But when you've had that feeling of almost being trapped in place and time and yeah. what, what do you then do? I think I think I do recognize what, cause it just get, I either get a physical pain, like a headache or a migraine yeah. or something, or just not being able to see clearly. And I think I know then to drop down in my body and it involves some sort of movement, but, yeah. or some sort of play that doesn't have an agenda it's yeah. not searching it's not seeking but movement and also for that when you've sat too long and you just get stuck yeah. like not physically but in the one place too much then just exploration for explorations or maybe exploration is not the right word but to do something without an end point yeah. outcome that's interesting because <laughs> i was gonna i was gonna say um, it, the explorer archetype oh, okay, is, cool. <laughs> it is probably the one that is comes out for you just because I know you pretty well and yeah. you and I are so similar in so many ways. That's what happens to me too. It's yeah. like, I just, um, I feel like a little volcano is about to explode and I burst out the door with my running shoes on, but I don't have an agenda. I'm not an athlete in that moment. Yeah. And I'm certainly not really appreciating everything around me right at the beginning. Yeah. Um, and I'm not playful because my head's not in playful mode. Yeah. I'm like explorer, you yeah. know, as in I need to go somewhere with no agenda yeah. and just explore the world around me and reconnect. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. what I did last week. I was just went on the mountain for like five hours with Clive, my partner, he's like, where are you going? I was like, just going for a walk. I'm <laughs> just <laughs> walking. And it was beautiful. And I saw an echidna and it was amazing. And it was that refresh button to get out of yeah. that archetype. But yeah. And the see the explorer, like they just, they be, they still have that curiosity that the sage has, mm. but it's like the physical expression of that. And what I love about the explorer is they are often very in tune with everything going on around them from a curious perspective as opposed to like the queen and king, which is like the appreciative mm. perspective. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, the explorer is that break-free mode. Mm -hmm. um, so that one I think is really powerful. And um, 
and it can really help move someone forward if they've got a bit stuck in the plod zone is it's mm-hmm. like just put your explorer hat on yeah um and sometimes with these i actually talk about um with athletes and and individuals in general um so for example i'm working with a guy who's got challenges in his career um is have different shoes like physical different shoes for different modes yeah so have you uh, my dad used to on in many ways talk about archetypes without realizing it but he'd often be like when we went orienteering we'd have like certain shoes that we use for like when we just go training and you're out there for long periods of time but then if you go on race we'd have our dancing shoes and they were lighter and you'd save them for race day mm. and he'd be like oh i get to put on my dancing shoes today and that <laughs> it's kind of that example is like have you training shoes where you're doing intervals and maybe there's a lot of warrior involved but then have your dancing shoes for like pixie mode and then have your shoes for exploring mode and like Mm. we probably already do it but like be aware of it yeah yeah that yeah because you can even expand that out into life and it's like if you've got an office job then you wear your office clothes if that's what you're doing and then you have your training clothes and then when I do art, I have like my artist clothes. It's Absolutely. like, I can't do art in <laughs> like business clothes or athletic clothes, like this specific. Yeah. yeah. And you can do it rooms in your home. So we're in my studio at the moment. This is my creative space. I don't mm. do work in here. I would actually rather work at the kitchen table and do the emails and do it, but I only create in here, mm. create or coach or teach. So it's like my, yeah, it's, it's reserved for that archetype Mm. um same thing is like we were talking about like we've got a new couch (laughs) and you were like i love that chair look at that chair because your brain is seeing sage that is my sage my wise chair my place where i read where i'm curious where i like daydream yeah it's a sage's chair Mm. it really is and it looks like it (laughs) um so i love that and then obviously i um i've had to work with athletes as well about remembering to um, to turn all of that off and when they come in the door and they're with their wife or their husband or their children to remember what archetype is most appropriate at home because I think a lot of us, you know, we go to work, we get hyped up about something we're doing, we jump in the car, we ride our bike home, we kick our shoes off and we walk in the door in warrior mode. And you can imagine the tension that can come in a family, in a household, in a relationship if warrior meets wife, Mm. meets husband, meets kids. Like, how is warrior going to ever connect on that human level with those, with that person in their archetype? Mm. Um, So then there's the role of, like, the lover, the wife, the husband. And in some ways the king and queen can really come into play in the household because, like, I was working with a gentleman who's in his early 70s, very high-performing athlete and achieving and striving for great things, but he would always bring athlete mode into the home. Mm-hmm. So he'd always be stretching, always be foam rolling, be doing his strength training. He'd be, like, thinking about what he needs to eat for training the next morning and rarely able to switch that off and just be like, this is my kingdom, I am the king, and, you know, what do I need to do to look after my peoples? (laughs) Um, And so just talking to him about the importance of, like, what, you know, what meals would a king have? They're always going to be, you know, fueling themselves for the day at work tomorrow. They're going to be celebrating. They're going to have feasts. They're going to, like, also have times where there's famine and they're going to be looking after their people and, like, even just metaphorically speaking like that can help someone to realize like, oh yeah, I have other 
have other roles and archetypes that are important. Mm. Um, mm. And so you can probably kind of see then, like, I think when I went through my big um, soul-searching kind of phase after 2017 when I thought I was retiring from sport, the reason I retired, retired in quotation marks, is because I thought that Hanny was an athlete, um, which she was, um, but only an athlete. And I thought that there was a point where athleticism needed to end and the next evolution of Hanny needed to begin. As in like a linear progression. A linear yeah. progression because all I thought was there was one archetype, athlete Hanny, and athlete Hanny needed to mature. So athlete Hanny needed to die and um, adult Hanny kind of needed to begin. And when I kind of came to work with my coach into this realization that athlete honey is always going to be there. Like you can't turn off an archetype. That's really hard. Mm. But to realize that underneath that was like a queen, an imp, a warrior, like all sorts of like really important things, like a lover, a Mm. wife, like all these other archetypes that were just sitting there waiting to be fed and fly, like to flourish. And I've walked away a richer person and realizing I'm still able to be an athlete. And that one is probably going to always be very central to my life. But then Mm. there's all these other things that I can also enjoy and reap the rewards from. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of feels like it's just expanded my horizon in so many ways, Mm. (laughs) which is so exciting. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That kind of makes sense. Yeah. Not too whimsical. (laughs) No, definitely makes sense. Just even just acknowledging that. Um, we're more holistic or even more diverse than maybe what we give ourselves credit for. I think it's so, it could be very human nature to want to identify, control, box ourselves. I am this, I am yeah. this. But to recognize that with or without those boxes, you're still a spectrum almost. Yeah. And so um, I think that that can be very freeing and also, yeah, releases those limitations of what we can place on ourselves. And I think the archetypes is kind of expanding on that. Oh, so. I'm so glad that you see it as well. Like, <laughs> yeah, as you can see, it gets me pretty excited. Yeah. Um, and then that kind of, I think, then leads so beautifully into the hero's journey, which I sort of said to you, Jess, I really want to, I really want to share this one. Um, and yeah so the hero's journey um we see it playing out in all of our favorite films the most grabbing memorable films will all be based on a hero's journey so think of like gladiator the matrix titanic wizard of oz like they all um use the hero's journey to form the story theme around them mm-hmm. like all disney movies as well pretty, yeah pretty <laughs> much yep yep absolutely um you told me to watch the little prince last night because it all featured on archetypes in the hero's journey and absolutely mm. does um yeah and i think also too a lot of like the stories of our greatest champions that we kind of love and respect, we love and respect them because they've been on a hero's journey and we've mm. seen that play out and unfold. Mm-hmm. Um, so the hero's journey, some people maybe never go on it, some people maybe go on it once in their life, some people go on it frequently. And generally the more frequently you've completed or undertaken a hero's journey, the more frequently you actually end up on it again because <laughs> it's never ending. 
Um, I'll explain it and then like maybe we can dig a little bit through some of it. But yeah. basically there we um, have this sensation that we're living in the ordinary world. So I can maybe, maybe I can look at, um, I'm just thinking what my example might be. I think I might look at it um, as that example of in 2017, this sensation of the end is coming and, and I need to kind of give birth to a new identity basically. So my ordinary world was like Hanny's an athlete, Hanny gets up in the morning and trains, Hanny does this, Hanny does that, Hanny races. Um, even my relationship with my husband, well, my partner at the time, soon to be husband, um, I still always felt like the athlete kind of was always there. So that was my ordinary world. You know, I would go to work and I would come home and I would, you know, <laughs> um, but I kept having this call to action and I didn't really know what it was, but I kept having this real sense that, and for me, it was a feeling. So that's also really important. This, this feeling that there was something else that needed to kind of happen or me to give birth to something. Um, but I had no idea what it was. Um, so call to actions, call to adventure always comes for people in the same form and it happens three times. So for instance, um, in that sense, I, yeah, I kept getting this strong feeling that something wasn't right. And I will always reject that feeling on my greatest fear or it shows you your greatest enemy. So for my greatest enemy was fear at that time. Um, whereas say, you know, you deciding that you wanted to pursue your art, you probably had a call. I had the, and the same thing, yep. three things that were just yep. like, oh, you can't ignore. So was that. it visual or feeling or auditory? Because that would be the three. It was a feeling at first, feeling. a feeling of something needed to change, something that I was ignoring, and I just sort of kept pushing it down. Yeah. But then there were, like, experiences in my life that then reflected. I interpreted those as, like, signs and yeah. almost, like, warning signs. Like, yeah. you can't keep going along like this. Something yeah. needs to change. So the signs, even if they were visual, you would still have interpreted them on feeling. feeling yeah. Whereas some people might keep seeing a poster for a race pop up and then it suddenly pops up on their social media and then the third time it pops up they can't deny it they've got to pursue it mm. but you always it always will pop up in this whether it's visual auditory so you hear something or feeling mm. kinesthetic mm -hmm. um and you'll always reject it on the same enemy so for me it was fear i don't know what it was for you um what your greatest enemy was in that moment maybe you reflect on it later but you, it'll reveal your greatest enemy, even if it's a conscious, unconscious awareness of that. Mm -hmm. You just have this sense that you keep rejecting it and you don't know why. But if you were to dig and later reflect on it, you would uncover, oh, yeah, that was fear. <laughs> so at that time, I didn't know what I was rejecting it on either. I kept thinking, no, 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 no. I need to keep being an athlete. But then, like, the feeling would come back and I'd be like, no, 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 no. But it's always three times. It's really interesting. Um... So yeah, you refuse the call and then eventually you meet a mentor and the mentor really is someone there to help you to go on the journey. Um, and so for me, I met my coach, Alice, came kind of a long time later. So this can play out really quickly or it can take years and years and years. It can take a lifetime, but I met Alice um, and she gave me the skills 
and we did a lot of work together to then allow me to kind of cross the threshold into the new world. Mm-hmm. Um, so that threshold is guarded by a gatekeeper and you see it again play out in all the movies but it really is our subconscious mind our unconscious mind so finally being able to cross that threshold of the unconscious into the unconscious mind Mm -hmm. um, and to bring conscious awareness to a lot that's going on in there Mm -hmm. and then as you cross the threshold then you get hit with all the tests the allies the enemies the struggles you see that play out for ages in the films like but in that, I guess you're constantly, um, your enemy constantly keeps appearing. So the fear for me kept constantly appearing um, as I started thinking about like womanhood shit, you know, like when all these like, oh, wife shit, how did I do that? You know, all these fears would come up. So fear was the enemy was constantly there. But I guess through all of the work I did with her, with her support, and taking myself on that journey, there were skills and mindsets and physical attributes that I gained to allow me to like flourish in the new world that I still desired but I didn't kind of know what it looked like yet Mm. that makes sense Mm -hmm. so I've crossed the threshold yeah the allies tests and enemies keep popping up and then that all really leads through this big approach where you get greater and greater challenges until you reach the ordeal Um, and the ordeal is actually really fascinating because it's a time where your mental cannot be there so you are alone and you have to execute it alone we talked about A-teams before. You can have A-teams that help you through all the tests, you know, allies, enemies and the approach, but when you get to the ordeal, you're on your own. For me, the on my own bit, I think, when I think about it, was the Pyrenees. You know, so that was very much a physical journey. Some people it's not. Um, some people it's very much an emotional, spiritual journey. But I guess at that point you confront your greatest enemy. Um, and for that for that or in that moment for me, it was fear. But I realised it was also guilt Mm. that really came to surface is like the guilt of pursuing something unapologetically because I love to, not because I think I should to. Mm. That was kind of what really manifested for me. Um, And if you actually look at Wizard of Oz and you take the Wizard of Oz journey, and we haven't quite finished the hero's journey yet, but if we take the Wizard of Oz for a moment, um, there's Toto, you know, the little dog, like, yeah. is it Dorothy? Mm. I know. Dorothy and the dog, Toto. <laughs> well, that Toto is actually in that film for a reason because all of us also have a Toto on this journey. So that's different from the mentor. And that's kind of what we were talking about, like family is often the Toto, like mm. a husband or a wife or mm-hmm. it might be a dog. It might even be an object. It might even be your favourite pair of shoes. But you'll have a toto and every time you're with that object or that person or that thing, you feel safe, like they're there unconditionally to love and support you. But even on your ordeal, your toto isn't there. Um, so for me, like I set off on, on that that um, ordeal with Graham, literally side by side thinking that we were going to do the whole thing together and we quickly, quickly realised like that wasn't appropriate. Mm. And so... I ended up deciding I needed to pursue this adventure and he was there in the background supporting me. But I had to execute on those days where I was so scared on my own. So that's the ordeal. Um, And then so, yeah, so you go through the ordeal and then off the back of the ordeal when you um, succeed, you gain a reward and it will always come in a physical form. And I came home and I kept saying to people, I just feel physically different I don't know why. Mm. That's the reward. Um, and so for you, you pursuing your artistic journey came 
probably back or whether you're still in it, but it will come back in a physical form, whether you're a better artist, mm. you get money from selling your work, whether you get a job that, you know, allows you to do, you know, but, but there'll be a physical reward mm. that comes from that pursuit. And then you come back into the road, back into the new world where you might have defeated the enemy, but sometimes it can pop up for a second round. And I was just saying to you in the kitchen, like, my hamstrings decided to, like, crack the shits after falling off my bike yesterday. And I said to you, like, my old way wants to just bulldoze out the door and just go... Worry mode. Warrior mode. I'm <laughs> going for a run anyway, stuffy hamstring. Yeah. But I know that that is my, my fears and my enemy coming back to kind of bite me and I need mm. to be bigger than that. And so I didn't do anything. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so the enemies can come back up on the road back. Mm. Um, but eventually you resurrect yourself and there might be a final moment of like a feeling of death or loss mm. as that new world or that new identity comes into play. Mm. Um, and that's so true. Like I've had times where I almost want to cry because I'm pining for that that real athletic self but it doesn't mean she's not there it's just um a new identity is being born mm. and and in this journey that I went on in mine um a lot of that new identity was actually being a woman so like I think I was probably yes I was an athlete but I was also stuck like in a in a younger woman's way of thinking and almost a younger woman's body and I wasn't really allowing like womanhood to really come into flourish mm. so that's also been part of this journey that I've been on mm. but yeah the resurrection comes um and you come back the final stage is that you return to the new world with what we call the elixir um and it's this magical thing that you can share with other people to help them on a the hero's journey mm. so yeah that's the hero's journey it's, I feel like I just went on a journey listening to that and <laughs> <laughs> reflecting on my own life. And I hope everyone listening has that same experience because it's like very it's – it's funny how you can – you can identify each of these different elements and like despite your examples and your life experience being different to mine, they still are like the same. Like they follow yeah. the same pattern. I was like, yeah. oh, my goodness. It's scary. It's uncanny when you start talking to people about heroes' journeys and seeing them play out for lots of different people. And and I guess that's the role of the mentor and like in some ways it's my role at the moment in, in the way I see it is like to help people fast track this journey for them, mm. to bring conscious awareness to some of the phases that they're on. Mm. Um, because if you don't know, I didn't know anything about heroes' journeys and I've, I can see others that have played out previously like when I won my world title, overcoming a lot of adversity and things like that, but I bumbled my way through had no conscious awareness of what my enemies were at the time. And then off the back of that hero's journey, I managed to keep playing out this another hero's journey, but with the same enemies at play. I never, like, confronted the mm. enemy. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and what I love about the hero's journey is it can also put language and words and images around some of the experiences that you're having. So you're having a human experience where maybe there's a bit of a struggle or a sensation that you're not being truthful to yourself or that you need to do something but you don't know what it is and kind of thinking about the hero's journey is like holy shit I think I'm having a call to action mm. you know and it gives you permission then to like have curiosity about like what's this call to action about what is this like journey I'm meant to be going on and like identity mm. that's meant to be born and like 
I think that's kind of the cool thing about this. So um, I kind of would say to people, like, um, think of your favourite films and, like, some of them, ones that he's really obvious in, is, like, Gladiator, Matrix, Wizard of Oz, Goodwill Hunting, Titanic. Mm. Um, but, like you said, kids' films, action films, Kung Fu Panda, like, you <laughs> name it. They've all got the hero's journey in them. And yeah. Like, I always just think of, like, the Disney princesses. Like, they're generally, like, stuck completely. in a small world and then they go out and adventure. Cinderella. Yeah. You know, it, there are so many. But, like, even if you just watch them just purely from the educational, like, which phase of the hero's journey are they in at this moment in time in the mm. film and what's the enemy and like mm. just because the more you like to kind of can begin to identify it in others the more you begin to identify it in yourself yeah i think yeah. it fosters even a greater compassion for other people like when you come to these realizations that you know we all kind of experiencing similar things you can have a greater sense of compassion for another person if you see that they're in the ordeal stage or, you know, like in the call to action stage, then you can have um, maybe an understanding of what they're going through. and Completely. mm. And just being aware that everyone around you is going, you know, like Graham is in some point on this hero's journey. I don't know. I've never really stopped to think about it. But if I was and I saw him going through an ordeal, I know my role is to be Toto in the background and not mm. to be trying to fix it for him, mm-hmm. that this is something that he needs to do on his own. Mm. Yeah, and that kind of, it also helps you then to communicate and have language with the people around you, which yeah. I think is a super powerful. Um, and then the final bit of it and why I wanted to bring it in is that it actually feeds really beautifully into the Maslow's hierarchy of needs that a lot of people might be familiar with mm-hmm. um, and later really picked up by Tony Robbins and brought to life. And the hierarchy of needs is um, that really there are foundations upon foundations upon foundations that we need as humans in order to like um, flourish and feel complete. Not everyone goes through every hierarchy, um, mm-hmm. but there are some that you must have. And so the hierarchy goes certainty, which is certainty in like shelter, food, water, and sex. Mm-hmm. Um, so safety, so certainty. And so when Graham and I were like, we didn't really have a home and we were transient living in a van and our finances were uncertain and like, Mm. you know we were literally trying to survive on the level of certainty Mm -hmm. so me being able to think about anything higher up than that like having variety and um trying to have significance and us to have a stronger love and connection in our relationship even god forbid growth and contributing were like Mm. out of the question it was like let's just survive so that was kind of like a real example of that um, and there are a lot of people like that, like one of my good girlfriends, you know, who's trying to work out certainty, you know, doesn't have a job, doesn't have a home at the moment, doesn't mean that she can't do it, she just hasn't literally got it. So for, for her, she's working on certainty. You've got certainty in your life, you've got a lot of variety in your life, so you're maybe seeking something higher up. So it goes certainty, then uncertainty, so that's variety, that's excitement. <laughs> Um, if we're on the same, same all the time, we all know it gets boring and you're suddenly seeking sort of something else. And so a lot of people who aren't aware of that might start using food as a, or holidays as a way to fill this need of like more uncertainty in Mm -hmm. their life and variety in their life. Mm -hmm. You can imagine that. Mm -hmm. So there can be a lot of issues that go on there. Then there's like significance. So I want to feel significant. I need to have significance. I need to be seen. 
I need to be heard. And we all have that, I think, need at some point. And then there's love and connection that isn't the next one up. Then off that comes growth and then there's contribution. Mm. So if we look at certainty, variety, significance, love and connection, growth and contribution, we can actually see it play out in the hero's journey. Mm. So certainty is the old world. Variety is this call to action. Significance is crossing the threshold. Love and connection, you can see it playing out. Growth is the ordeal. And then contribution is returning with the elixir. So you can mm. see it play out. Mm. So you can... It's all connected. Yeah, <laughs> which is so cool. Because if you can be like, oh, my God, I'm building up to my big ordeal, like I'm actually about to grow mm. or I need growth or I can, growth is my focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> I hope they haven't lost everyone. <laughs> that was amazing. Is there anything, any final, do you think... Little notes on that. Um, no, I think you covered everything that I like. I was just a bit lost in the words. I wasn't really thinking of questions because I think you no, explained everything quite thoroughly. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for the monologue. <laughs> no, it's good. Sometimes yeah. if it's like you interrupt with a question, then you kind of get a bit sidetracked, and then you know. So sometimes yeah. it's good to have that flow of the 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 conversation or the story for a bit. But yeah, yeah and I think. Today was just, I guess I've been somewhat silent in some ways. I've been interviewing, I've been really focusing on my concerns and the concerns around climate change. Um, So there's been a big focus on climate change on the podcast recently. Mm. Um, There's also been, amazingly, just because of these extraordinary people who keep coming into my world, a real focus on like meditation and mindfulness and Mm. um, finding quietness in life. Mm. Um, which I've really loved in something like I've, I'm not great at it, but I'm exploring it um, and I see its value. Mm-hmm. But I felt like a lot of what I've been learning has definitely been quite quiet. And Yeah. Um, but I think it's also a testament to the fact that you wait until you've got something like a real elixir <laughs> that you know is worth sharing. And so yeah. it's like you're not just going to half ass talk about yeah. something if it if you don't feel like it has a real significance so definitely that does come with periods of being quiet and learning and solitude and I think that's right I think I've definitely been in a phase of consolidation of um of like learning it but then really feeling it and, and rejecting some of the things that haven't really resonated and connected with me and then kind of really like trying to foster the ones that I think have value Mm. and have value to add to others' lives as well. So Mm -hmm. I'm really excited to kind of finally get some of the stuff they've been working on out. (laughs) I feel like one day there'll be another book that I would love to write with it. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, this is – and it's just been so great to have you because what a hard conversation that would have. (laughs) You could have been the archetypes and you could have bounced (laughs) off all the aspects of yourself. Something like that. Yeah, so I'm, I mean, I'm excited to count. There are other, obviously, um, areas that you can grow on on this, but I feel like this is, like, something that I really encourage people just to play with. Mm. Like, and there's no mm-hmm. right or wrong in this world. Yeah. That's what's really cool. Like, everyone yeah. is so individual. Um, but even just having some kind of, like, slight awareness of it is, is really cool and mm-hmm. can really really help you in anything that you're striving for i think Mm, i agree thanks (laughs) (laughs) then